Welcome to the Academic Veterinarian Podcast with Dr. Nuno Carrero, where we explore career opportunities and discuss contemporary topics within the field of veterinary and animal science. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. My guest today is Dr. Gretchen Delcom. She's a veterinarian and director of DVM Admissions at Colorado State University. She's here to talk to us about the admissions process at Colorado State, and we'll go on to discuss how applicants can strengthen their vet school application. Welcome, Dr. Delcom. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and hopefully get some questions answered and share a little bit about my journey. Absolutely, yes. Before we dive into the admissions process, here on the podcast, we like to talk about everyone's path to vet med because everyone's path is different. So how did it start for you? When did you begin to look into vet med veterinary medicine and when did you realize this is a potential career for you? You know, I'm not like uh, many applicants that I get to visit with on a daily basis that um, a lot of people have that gut reaction when they're a kid, they know they want to be a veterinarian. Um, for me, I, it came much, much later. Um, I actually grew up in a medical household. So my dad is a human physician. Um, and then everyone else in my family, my mom, my sister, my brother, they're all teachers. And so I had an exposure to a couple of different careers, but uh, I was really good at chemistry in high school. And so uh, when I went to college, at Louisiana State University, where I'm from. I'm from South Louisiana. I majored in chemistry in undergrad um, just because I, I thought maybe I'd go into pharmaceutics or something like that. I loved academia as well. But then I got into my junior year and things weren't just, you know, nothing was clicking for me in the career field. I kind of uh, thought, you know, as a chemistry major at, uh, in Louisiana, it's really closely tied to the oil fields and kind of wanted to do something different, be a little more out there with people and, and interacting, um, you know, with the public. So I got this wild hair idea that, you know, medicine was for me, but you know, human medicine never really sat well with me in the sense that it wasn't like what was calling to me. So I just decided as a junior in college, I was going to go to vet school. Why not? So it was just kind of a, huh, I'll go to vet school, um, which, you know, especially with this pandemic that's happened the last year, I think a lot of people have sat around now that kind of the, 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 the din of their day has been so loud around them. It's kind of gotten quieter and they've been home kind of isolated. They've been thinking about, all right, this is a time for a career change. Where do I go? And I think we've seen a lot of people say, hmm, I'll go to vet school, which I'm really glad to see too. So it was a bit of a, just a, you know, wild hair for me. I loved animals, grew up with a lot of animals in my family, had that medical background, loved academia, loved learning, loved studying. And so uh, that's what I choose to do. And because I had a little research background as a chemistry major, I figured I'd, I'd go into uh, laboratory animal medicine. That was kind of my my spin when I was applying is that I had this research background, loved animals, loved academia. I'd be a lab animal vet. Not quite how it panned out, but I tried a lot of things along the way and, and figured it out uh, once I got to expose myself to lots of different things in the veterinary program. So yeah, a little bit of a yeah, different well, story. <laughs> yeah, um, a lot to unpack there. So you already had kind of a medical background or introduction because of your family. W was there any um, pressure to apply to med school versus vet school? Or was that even a thought? That's a really good question. You know, not at first, honestly. Um, I think, so I, I was lucky. I have an older brother and older sister, um, and they chose their careers. One is a teacher, one is a band director. And so I think my dad, who's the physician, kind of also let me kind of choose my field as well too. So not a lot of pressure there. During vet school, when I was struggling a little bit, there there became the pressure of maybe redirecting towards human side of things, but um, kind of stuck my guns and, and stayed where I thought I needed to be. Yeah. Great. Um, I'm sure that maybe the uh, conversation around the dinner table probably changed, right? Maybe when you started vet school, were you guys comparing notes? Uh, Absolutely. Like all of a sudden there was this new dictionary of, of words that were just opened up to me because now I understood what my dad was talking about on the phone or or talking about at the dinner table. And um, But then we always got to add, I, I, I got to add to the conversation kind of, yeah, but in vet med, this is what happens or, oh, this is really gross when this happens kind of thing, um, which we don't really... So always talk about things in human medicine that way. <laughs> right. 
Right. Well, that's awesome. So it wasn't really until your you said your junior year of undergrad mm-hmm. that you really started to to thinking about that. So at that point, as a student, as a chemistry major, I'm assuming, mm-hmm. what did you have to do then to kind of prepare yourself and refocus to get to vet school? Any any advice and tips for students that might be in the same position? Yeah, and I, I talk to a lot of advisees now that are kind of making these career changes, whether it's post-bac or during during their, their undergrad program. You know, there's always time to add those additional classes. So I do remember first thing first, looking at the prerequisites for vet school and my chemistry major didn't hit all those prerequisites. So I made sure in my senior year that I squeezed in a couple of those. Um, I also, I think in my senior year of college, I finally took my first animal science course because I figured I just needed to get some exposure to that that animal lingo that I didn't have. Um, and so I made a, you know, a plan to meet all my major requirements, but I, I did try to squeeze in some additional things so that um, I was making use of my four years at LSU and, and trying not to extend the time before I applied. Where did you end up attending vet school? At LSU. So just down the street for me, I applied to uh, something I actually don't recommend students doing. I only applied to one school and I applied to just my in-state school, which was good for me because of, you know, my residency classification, things like that. But, you know, because it was such a late decision of, um, you know, this was going to be a career change, I I just tested the waters and just applied to LSU. Um, And I got in my first year. So um, and I, I attributed that because I came in with this different spin. I think that the chemistry background and kind of my goals in vet med were a little bit something different. And I really clicked with with my interviewees at LSU as well, too. So I think that, yeah, it was it was kind of a miracle when I look back at it now, being an admissions director and seeing the process and what it's become versus what I did. I don't remember how many years ago now. Uh, it was kind of just right time, right place and 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 right things at the table. Yeah. Right. So when I um often speak to undergraduate students, I, I really try to convey to them that vet school is still a time of like exploration. Absolutely. You're still learning about the profession and what maybe your interests are. I mean, certainly some students, they go in, whether as undergrads or even continue on to vet school, they go in with an idea of what they want to do with their specific interests and goals. But I, I do try to have them keep an open mind throughout their you know, educational career. Can you talk a little bit about what your thoughts were in, in your experience um, in vet school? Absolutely. I think I gave you the kind of superficial story of how and why I went to vet school. But I think also part of my thought process of applying to vet school was I really didn't know what kind of career I wanted. I didn't know where I fit. And so uh, being in a medical household, knowing what medicine could bring to you, knowing that I loved animals, I knew that vet school was going to just open more doors for me. Um, I think that was probably the biggest reason I applied to vet men. I didn't know exactly who I was going to be or what I wanted to do. But I knew it'd have so many different options. And I thought I was fancy going into vet school. I thought I wanted to be a lab animal veterinarian because uh, I thought it was fancy knowing that there was such a thing as a lab animal vet. Um, I, everyone knows small animal, large animal, and then, you know, research lab animal maybe. But it's not until you get into a veterinary program, you realize how many options there are um, in the career. There are just thousands of doors that get open, whether it's in, in public health, um, whether it's, you know, holistic med. Yeah, it's just, it's just endless. And so, you know, I, I took advantage of that time in vet school to explore. So joining clubs, getting exposed to faculty and other mentors in those areas, seeing if I liked that type of topic, um, those hands-on activities. Um, I did research in the Veterinary Summer Scholars Program, which is a well-known program at most vet schools still these days in the summers for students to get exposed to research. I did that too. Yeah, when I, I was did at it. Colorado State. Yeah, that was that was a really great experience and, and got to really be mentored by awesome faculty. So... And you get to try it out, right? It's kind of uh, this opportunity to see if research speaks to you or if it's it's not the right fit. So, vet med is about exploration. Like you advise your camp, your your students, absolutely, because um, you just don't know how many doors there are until you get into it. And then a lot of my my students now they get overwhelmed by the choices and they just don't know where where they want to be and what they want to do. But I just tell them to go for it, and you'll you'll do it by process of elimination. You'll find where you fit. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, your interest initially, you were thinking about lab animal medicine. So did you end up uh, pursuing that or what, what did you end up doing, you know, 
post-vet school or where did that lead you? Yeah, I, I didn't pursue lab animal medicine. I, I definitely joined the club. I went on uh, field trips and things like that. And I just saw that it was uh, very, you know, it just it just wasn't a fit for me in the sense of, of what the roles and responsibilities of a lab animal vet was doing, uh, working really heavily with human research uh, and also advocating for lab animals. I'm think, thankful for having lab animal veterinarians out there. But I started dabbling in research. I found that focusing on a project that I was responsible for was kind of just talking to me a little bit more rather than the the oversight that lab animal vets do. And so I I did the summer scholars program. I stayed on with a a researcher at LSU following summers. I even uh, pursued graduate school at LSU. I was going to do the DVM PhD program at LSU. But uh, when I got to my fourth year of vet school, I realized I had an undergrad degree from LSU. I had a DVM from LSU. It was time for me to go somewhere else. And so I actually went to the University of Florida following my DVM to pursue uh, a graduate degree there. And and I I can happily talk about that process because I, I went for a PhD I was there for about six years and ended up taking a master's. And so that's part of my journey, too, of who I am today as well, uh, because I'm not doing research these days. <laughs> yeah. So what kind of research were you interested in? Um, I really love horses and I uh, really love infectious disease studies because I just, you know, it's super fun to think about the pathophysiology that occurs in infectious diseases. So I did West Nile virus research um, at University of Florida for a while. And uh, yeah, it was it was super fun. I actually got really involved with doing immunohistochemistry and I started teaching histology. I was a TA in the histology class for the vet students there. And I actually became became a histology teacher. Never thought I would do that uh, going into vet school. And uh, so, yeah, I, that's, you just keep trying things. And then all of a sudden something just jives and you just keep doing it. (laughs) Yeah. So now you have your, you have your, your undergrad from LSU, your DVM, and then you go on to get a master's, right? Correct. Uh, Yep. And um, so, which kind of brings me to to think about a lot of vet schools nowadays. They do offer combined programs, right? The DVM PhD. Um, can, can you speak a little bit about that, as far as maybe even just what CSU offers and and who should really look into these programs? Like, kind of, what is the goal of these programs? Yeah, I think the goal of these programs is for career advancement. And and so, if you are thinking that you have this niche in the field that you would like to pursue, whether it's research or whether it's being a business entrepreneur or business owner, looking at these combined degree programs does do provide you the additional training to have a leg up in those fields. Also, you know, when it push comes to shove, when you graduate and you have these two degrees, you're talking about kind of higher offers uh, in, in employment you know, pay and things like that as well, too. So for me, I was pursuing the PhD, thought I wanted to do research for a long time, but I found myself kind of banging my head, not getting anywhere successfully or easily with research. And uh, so, but the teaching came really, really, really natural to me. And I really fed off the enjoyment that I had in teaching the students. So I sat down with my boss here at CSU and said, you know, do I need the PhD? Do I need the master's? Where do I go with this? And for me, I needed the master's in order to teach in the university. I didn't need the PhD to teach. I needed the PhD if I wanted to do, you know, grant writing and things like that to run my own research lab. So that's why I ultimately ended up taking the the master's. And so absolutely, if you are thinking about those alternative, non-traditional careers is what we call them, whether it's in teaching or working for industry and things like that, having a master's or even a PhD degree can can give you that extra boost in when it comes to hiring, to pay, and to the knowledge that you have entering those jobs as well too. And at CSU has, I think, I think we have the most number, the highest number of combined degree programs of uh, the veterinary school. So we have an MBA DVM, that's a business administration degree, uh, master's of public health with the DVM degree. We have a master's of toxicology with the DVM, and that's for international students. We have a PhD DVM. Uh, program. And we also just added a few years back the Master's of Animal Science DVM degree. And that's for students who are interested in kind of being that interconnector between industry, research, and medicine for large animal, food animal patients and and uh, producers. Yeah, absolutely. 
Excellent. Um, yeah, I can totally attest to, I also have a master's degree on top of my DVM, and I, I do think it has opened up some possibilities and some doors, especially when it came to uh, my teaching role, as yeah, you said. Yeah, teaching. So awesome. So okay. So how, how did you end up at, at CSU and CSU Admissions? And can you talk a little bit about your, your current role? Absolutely. Yeah. So um, my husband is also a veterinarian. I met him at LSU and vet school. Oh, um, you, broke, you broke you broke rule number one. I know. I didn't think there was anybody to meet in vet school. And I met, you know, I met one. <laughs> so. no, I, I just I just I say that because I remember uh, being at Colorado State first year vet school sitting there. And someone came to talk to us and it was a, like a financial kind of talk, uh-huh. um, you know, about managing your finances and paying for school. And uh, he jokingly said, you know, uh, the worst thing you can do is marry another veterinarian. But uh, Yeah, we, we broke that rule. I have a couple of friends that broke that rule. And, you know, you just you just live with it. You know, like this is this is our debt and this is we're, we're going to get through this together. But it's worth it because, uh, you know, it actually doesn't bother us, but we we live our job kind of 24 seven and we enjoy it because we're kind of on the same, uh, he teaches as well in the program too. So um, yeah, we kind of work and play together, which is, it makes it fun. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. No, congratulations. (laughs) That's awesome. And um, I know, you know, I had classmates uh, who got married in vet school to each other. So it's, it's, it's an adventure. Life happens when you're in vet school. Things don't stop. I know. know, And absolutely. We got to remind people that you're, you have more identities than just being a vet student or a pre-vet student. You have other identities outside of the classroom as well, too. You got to celebrate those. Yeah, exactly. So tell us about your role at um, CSU admissions uh, right now. Yeah. So uh, the reason I brought him up was because uh, he took a job here as an anatomy uh, teacher. And so that's what brought us here to CSU was um, possibilities in teaching. So he started teaching anatomy and a year later, they actually had a histology job. So I started teaching here at CSU first um, as a histology instructor. And um, a year or two later, randomly on campus, I bumped into a former professor of mine from LSU. And I said, what are you doing here? And she was here to apply for the director of admissions. And uh, she actually became the director of admissions and was here for about a year. And when she was moving on to Central, she she approached me and said, you know, I think you'd really be good for this admissions role. You need to think about it. And, you know, honestly, as a junior faculty, I felt like taking on an administrative role was too far out of reach. And I would have never Ever applied for this job if it wasn't her for saying, why not take a chance, you know, promote yourself, you know, try to be your own advocate. And right. I, I'm very thankful for people like that who say, just, just try it. What, what if you don't get the job, what, what's it going to do? It's not going to hurt, you know? So, yeah. So absolutely, we all need people like that. Um, sure I can certainly you. have had mm-hmm. people talk to me uh, in that way. And um, yeah, so that, that's great. Yeah. So you, you ended up getting the position. I did. I did. So I applied for it and I got the position and it's been a good fit just because I, I really love teaching. I love interacting with the students and admissions. I get to interact with um, not only my current first year students, I still teach histology, but also all the the pre-vet students who are applying to the program and are so eager to explore vet med and, and um, you know, become part of this profession, you know, part of my profession. So yeah, uh, I've been doing this. I think this will be my fourth year now. So let's Let's transition to go ahead and discuss uh, the vet school application process because that's a big part of what you do now. Yeah. And, you know, many schools in the United States use the VMCAS mm-hmm. application system, but each school seems to have their own process of how they look at applicants. Could you just let us know or give us an overview of kind of what CSU's take is on on the application process? Yeah, I I appreciate you bringing that up just to kind of warn all your students that it is kind of different at every school. So no matter what school you are thinking about applying to, and you should think about a couple of schools, always check with their admissions office to see what is their process like and what are the things that they emphasize? Because I think um, you need to think about that whenever you're going through the whole step of uh, applying to a program. So here at CSU, uh, we do a holistic admissions uh, review. And what that means is that we look look at the entire application. Um, they, My admissions committee doesn't get to see GPA. We no longer accept the GRE, but in the past, uh, that was probably the only quantified score 
Um, but there's no weights or formulas or percentages that we use in the admissions process. We are looking at your whole academic story. We're looking at your personal story. You're looking at your career story to figure out who you are on the paper. In what the holistic process does is allow us to take into context your personal journey with what you're presenting maybe academically or experientially. So uh, we know that you know you have maybe somebody that you are responsible for and have to take care of on top of going to school. Maybe it's a financial struggle, whatever it might be, we can kind of look at the quantitative information and also take into account the qualitative information to figure out what kind of applicant uh, we have. So I really love our process. It's very time consuming because we look at every single application that applies to CSU, but everyone gets a chance here. So it's a it's a long process, and I'm sure many of your students have started the process of looking at how this works, but the VimCast opens in January, and they can start working on their application. I encourage you to not go in there and stress yourself out from January to September when it's due, um, but it does give you time to kind of journal and keep track of all your experiences. There's a supplemental application here at CSU uh, that opens in the summer, and then both of those applications are due in September. Uh, we release decisions early January, and then school starts the following August. So my committee gets the information late October, so we have about five weeks or so to read all the applications and, and figure out who's going to be that balance of career-ready, career-open-mindedness, uh, maturity, and, and honesty that we're looking for. That's great. That's a great overview. I just want to uh, go back to a, a couple of things that you mentioned. Uh, first is this holistic mm -hmm. view of the applicant. I think that's great. And I think, you know, besides the advantage of what you just mentioned, which is, you know, looking at the whole applicant before making a decision, mm -hmm. I mean, what would be some other advantages of doing that? Because I know some other schools, they might look at GRE and GPA first before even looking at anything else. Right. So, um, you know, when you look at the GPA, for example, um, a GPA gives you a snapshot right? Uh, we, we see what this person has cumulatively earned in their academic career, but there's a story behind that number. So I have many applicants who are admitted to the program who failed out first year of undergrad. Maybe it was a hard transition because it, they left home for the first time. Uh, students who had a tragedy during, the veteran, uh, during their undergraduate program where they had a huge drop in their one semester scores, things like that, that a GPA captures, but we don't know the story behind it. So uh, what we're looking for here at CSU is upward trends in biomedical sciences towards the end of your undergraduate career. So those higher division science courses, who cares what happened freshman year or if you had a drop in one semester, but if you can show that trend and that story of, hey, things got bad, but things got better, that's what's really important to us. Uh, four years goes by quick, but it's still a long time. Who you are as a freshman in undergrad is not who you are as a senior in undergrad either. So we're looking for that readiness part. So we can miss, you can miss a lot of story with just kind of that snapshot. And, you know, uh, we have a really large admissions committee here. So we have the hands to do this kind of detailed work, but it, it's worth it. It really is because we get to find those applicants that, you know, may have fallen off because of an oops in the life, you know? So for the listeners that are hearing this, you know, that, that one bad first semester is not the end of the oh. world, right? <laughs> uh, not at CSU. When they're looking at your application, they want to look at trends. They want to look uh, that you've improved over time. Uh, you did mention that you, you tend to look at the higher level science courses. Mm -hmm. And I know just about every vet school has prerequisites, right? And they're about the same, you know, the, the biology, the biochemistry, organic chemistry. Uh, are those the type of courses you're talking about? Or are we talking about be beyond those prerequisite courses uh, that you're looking at? Yeah, so our prerequisite list is pretty simple. The ones that are 
prerequisites for us and fit that category of upper division biomedical sciences are the biochem and the genetics. We actually don't require organic directly. Your biochemistry needs to have one organic as a prerequisite in it. So that one's kind of a hidden prerequisite. Yes. So biochem genetics. And then what I say are all the other ologies. So think of immunology, virology, microbiology, those type of courses. If you can take them, if they fit into your schedule, great, do it. But certainly you don't have to have a bookload of biomedicals. Um, What I tell applicants too is the more of those biomedicals that they can take, it makes the DVM program so much more digestible because it's not the first time they've um, heard the language around virology or micro or things like that. So yeah, genetics, biochem, those two have to be done, but any other ones that are in alignment with what you would be taking in veterinary school is going to serve two purposes, support your application and also support you when you're in the DVM program. Excellent. And besides your your prerequisites, I'm assuming you also look at animal experience, just like any other school. Uh, What kind of animal experience specifically would you be looking for, if any uh, specifically, or something that students ask me a lot is, you know, how many hours, right. how many hours should I have of animal right. animal experience? They always want that number. So they're like, okay, I check this box and then, then all is well. Well, uh, we don't have a minimum. We don't have a maximum, I guess, too, but we don't have that number. In the past, candidates have pushed us on that question, too. And so my admissions committee has said, okay, three to 500 hours is great. That's that's a range to, to shoot for. Honestly, I have candidates who have no experience. I have candidates who have 10,000 hours of experience that get into the program. It's all about your story. And really for us at CSU, it's, it's a little different than other programs in that we are looking for a little bit of experience in your area of interest. It's really hard these days for candidates to find experience in every animal type, whether it be small animal and large animal and exotics. Um, so we try to get them to focus on the quality of the experience that helps them discover the profession and and focus on the things that they enjoy. So if you want to be an exotic animal veterinarian, make sure you're getting exotic animal experience. Um, We're not a school that needs you to have a little bit of each type of animal. Um, And be careful because there are programs that do want to see that balance of experience to show that you've done um, your your research and that understand the breadth of the field as well too. So, um, Again, always ask your admissions office, the school that you're applying to, what they're looking for. Right. And then letters of recommendation Mm -hmm. um, are also required for application. How many letters does CSU require? Is there a minimum, maximum? And how would you recommend that students approach the, the letters of recommendation like who to ask. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a really key question right there. Um, at CSU, we require three letters of recommendation. Uh, we recommend one veterinarian, one educator, and one employer. However, I think the most important one is having a veterinary letter. So if you don't have the educator and you have two employers, that should be fine. Um, a veterinarian can endorse you for the profession and say, you know, why should this person join the profession? Biggest piece of advice is talk to your to your recommendation writers and give them the ammunition they need to write you a good letter and say, hey, uh, you know, will you write me a good letter? Okay, that's great. Can I tell you why I want to go to vet school? What my interests are in? How I'm doing academically? So that they have more of this material to put into their letter. Um, it's always a good idea to have people write unique stories if they have one about you, um, not just repeat things that you've already put in your application. It's scary to talk to a mentor that maybe you don't know very well, but it's worth the time to even do a Zoom coffee meeting for 30 minutes or an hour to chit chat with your letter writer and say, hey, let me share these things about myself and why I'm really interested in vet med. It can make a big difference in what the letter writer is is telling us. We're always looking for additional stories and letters of recommendation are just another place for more context and more story. Absolutely. I know even if I know a student that I've had for three, four years and they ask me for a letter of recommendation, I want them to sit down with me for at least another hour That's good. and and just let's, let's talk it through. And I recommend whoever they ask, don't just ask for the letter of recommendation, but offer to sit down Got with it. them and talk to them about why they want to go to vet school and what their goals are. Yeah. So excellent. Uh, you did mention that CSU, uh, like other vet schools, may have a supplemental or has um, a supplemental uh, application. What is it in that application that maybe is not in the VMCAS um, 
system? Yeah, so there are a couple of essays. They're smaller than what you find in the VimCast, um, but there are two CSU uh, kind of specific essays that my admissions committee has voted on once to see. So that's that. Um, there's a little more demographic information. There is some uh, kind of drop down menus where you say what kind of experience you have in general and what you what are your career interests in general too. But the biggest thing we use our supplemental for is if you're interested in one of our combined degree programs, so the MBA, the MSA, the MPH, um, or we also actually have a 2-2 program in the University of Alaska in Fairbanks, where you do two years in Fairbanks and then two years down here in Fort Collins. If you're interested in any of those special programs, that's where you will check a box, say yes, consider me for this, and an essay to fill out there um, for those programs. Additionally, um, there is a disadvantage essay in our supplemental application, and that is for any qualifying disadvantage, where whether it's economic, uh, cultural, um, could be even uh, uh, medical, anything like that. We invite candidates to share some of that information so we better understand the context of their application as well, too. So, And we have a program here at CSU called Vet Prep. It's been around for over 20 years. It's a special program where disadvantaged students are, are invited to come for one year to pursue a master's degree, or they can do an undergraduate uh, degree track for two semesters. And uh, they have guaranteed entry into the DVM program as long as they maintain a certain GPA. And there's a lot of benefits to the Vet Prep program, especially the community that we build in this small group. And uh, so we gather a lot of this additional information in our supplemental for considerations of all of these special programs that we have at CSU. No, that's excellent. And then you just mentioned the vet prep program. So I just have to say, I am a vet prepper. Are you? I, oh, I am. That's so awesome. Ugh. Yes, yes, I am. And I got to say, it was such an awesome experience to go through that, that the level of mentorship uh, that I received in preparation for vet school made me a much better vet student. I really feel that and I owe a lot to that uh, program. So, and it was because I I filled out my application completely. Yeah. Again, the goal is for the committee to get to know yes. you. And some of the other essays, you may not have an opportunity to like show your whole self. Right. And so those extra essays and questions, let me show me my whole self. I, I was able to uh, be part of that program, oh, which is such a great program. Well, I'm going to have to invite you to come and uh, speak to my my current vet prep students because I'm the director of that program too. So I'm so glad to, to, to know that about you. And I love the program. Um, my vet prep students are some of the most confident first year DVM students because they've had a chance to settle in to Fort Collins and get to know the faculty and everything as well. Unfortunately, nobody can apply for the vet prep program. It's something we just consider in addition to the DVM. So um, in, and your students should know if they're applying to any of the combined programs here at CSU, we consider their application in the combined degree program path and in the DVM program path. So if they don't get the MBA DVM, their application was still considered for just the DVM and then um, vice versa. So yeah, and same thing with that prep too. The essays in, in the VMCAS system, they, they've also changed over, over time. Can you speak to the VMCAS essays right now, currently, they are more like three questions or three prompts. Is that correct? That's correct. And and the word out there is that we're going back to the personal uh, statements again. And I haven't checked to see if it's this cycle or next cycle. But as an advisor, heads up, uh, we are going back to that 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 general essay as a national movement kind of thing, which you know keeps everybody unfortunately on their toes about keeping up with admissions and veterinary medicine because we change all the time it seems. But my biggest piece of advice for any of those essays, um, especially in, on the VimCast, is to be honest and mature about your response. If you try to answer a question thinking, I'm going to write this because this is what the admissions committee wants to hear, we're not going to get to know you. And when everyone writes the exact same answer, because they think it's the answer the committee wants to hear, we can't tell you apart. And so... Applying to vet school is more than just checking the boxes. It's really trying to figure out how to best express yourself and be honest of, of who you are, what you want out of the career, and, and how you handle challenges, all of those things. So be raw, be honest. I think that sets you apart part more than having the quote unquote correct answer. So yeah, that's my advice. Um, and if, if you get stuck on those essays, get somebody to read the question to you and give a candid answer back. And that'll give you the outline to start forming that kind of candid response. 
Yeah, excellent advice. Let's talk about interviewing, yeah. okay? Because I know that's also very different depending which school you apply to. I mean, I talk to students that have applied to vet school over time, and it seems like, you know, there's no one way that some, you know, that they're doing these interviews. Can you talk about uh, Colorado State and their interviewing process and, you know, what students should expect? Yeah. So to start with, we just dropped our interview process starting this past cycle. Um, and that's a permanent change. It wasn't a COVID change. And uh, it's, it's you know, I know it can be a little bit of whiplash for candidates knowing that, you know, there was an interview, now there's not, you know, what, what school is asking for what, but there was reason behind uh, the change here. And uh, here at CCU, we did the multiple mini interview, and you might've heard it as the MMIs. And that's a scenario-based type of interview. Basically, we give you kind of an everyday scenario. So you don't have to, here at CSU, you don't have to have any uh, medical knowledge or, you know, knowledge about the news or anything like that. It was just kind of an everyday scenario. And we invited you to have a chat with an interviewer about maybe what you would do in that scenario, how you would react, things like that. And there are no correct answers in MMIs. And I know a lot of your listeners are going to be like, I'm sure there is a correct answer, but there wasn't. There really wasn't. It's all about sharing with somebody your thought process um, and your feelings, being able to communicate and things like that. So um, it's hard to prepare for an MMI because it's really just giving your kind of gut reaction and being able to defend, you know, why you would have that reaction and, and kind of talking about, um, you know, uh, the you know process, right? So uh, I just told candidates to always just practice breaking the ice and talking to new people. I think that just helped people relax. And so most of my candidates really had a good time with MMIs. But what we found was when we started the process uh, four years ago, I kept records on all the data and found that it was making very little change on who we invited to come to the interview and who actually came into the class. And so MMIs was having a very small impact on the final rank of the candidate. And it was costing students, you know, $2,000 or so to fly out here, stay out here, buy a suit for interviews, whatever it is. So we're going to go back to an optional showcase type of day. So if you have an MMI coming up, try to do whatever research that you're, you can on that school's MMI process and see what maybe they have some samples or what kind of things they're looking for. But it's really hard to, to do, uh, to pre prepare for MMIs. It's just kind of being comfortable in your own skin and, and sharing, you know, what's kind of in your head. So at, at CSU, when you did have the MMIs, you mean, how many scenarios were students going through in, you know, in, in that process? I'm trying like now, like all the numbers are scrambled in my head. I, I now I can't remember if it was six or eight, <laughs> six to eight <laughs> scenarios. It's only been a year since we we had in a, um, MMIs, but um, it was six. Yeah. I'm just trying to get yeah. a, a sense for our listeners to, okay, time wise, like yep. uh, how did, the, how, how, how long did these interviews last? You know, how, what, right. how, how long is each scenario and that, and that sort of process? So it was uh, six minutes in the room with the interviewer and then they had um, some time in between between to go to the next scenario before they got to start the next scenario. So it was a very timed event. Um, we have uh, our DVM ambassadors would kind of help everybody move. It's a round robin type. So if you start scenario one, you're timed, you hear a bell, conversation ends, you move to the next scenario, and then the process starts all over again. So in all in all, I think when you started your first scenario to when you finished, it was about an hour and a half. Okay. Um, and then you mentioned that, you know, so CSU is not doing interviews anymore, no more MMI, but you might be transitioning to a showcase type of uh, situation. Can you explain what, what that means? Yeah. So showcase is just basically an invitation for candidates to come and uh, candidates that have made, um, have received an offer or have an alternate status to come take tours, meet our students and decide if this is the right environment for them. Um, and that's really important. It's not about going to the, the best school in the country or uh, the cheapest school. It's finding the one where you're going to enjoy your time and, and, be happy because I think you thrive where you're happy as well too. So um, we want to give candidates that that formal time to come meet us, see CSU, see Colorado, and figure out if this is the program for them. So this year is going to be virtual. So we're doing a weekend virtual event um, by by invitation only, of course, and um, we're going to really focus on candidates getting to meet some of our students so they can get a feel for the program. Great. I also agree. I, I, I think you really need to, you know, have a feel for where you're going to live for the next four years. <laughs> so. yes. 
I mean, I'll vouch for CSU. I'll vouch for Colorado. I had a great time and uh, didn't want to leave. But, uh, you know, we have the highest number of applications in the country we have for a very long time. And I think it's simply because people want a reason to come and live in Colorado for four years. My students totally take the weekend to go skiing, you know, all day Saturday ski and then come home Sunday and, and, and study. So they love to play here in Colorado as much as they work. <laughs> awesome. Miss it out there. You did mention that you you have the highest application number yeah. in the country. Let's can can you give us some stats and give us an idea of admission stats like how many applications do you get? How many seats are there because I know that's changed over time. Um not only at CSU but across the country it seems like a lot of vet schools have added seats. Yeah, uh, they have. Uh, and it's I think it's trying to keep up with the demand of the profession. We we there's definitely a demand for small animal veterinarians, and there is uh, definitely people wanting to come to vet school. So uh, we've seen a steady increase over the last couple of years, but this year we actually had a 40% increase in the number of applications. So we had over 3,600 applications to see it this wow. year. Yeah, it was it was pretty large. Um, I think that, you know, I don't have all the final numbers from this cycle, but it was well over 3,100, maybe even pushing 3,400 that were out of state or what we call here non-sponsored students. Um, and um, then we have about half the classes non-sponsored. So that's roughly 70 seats of which about 20 or 30 go to what is called the witchy program. And those are states out here in the Western region that don't have a veterinary program in their state. So some of our non-sponsored seats are witchy. There's no quota there. So that never fluctuates. So out of say, let's say the 3,100 that are applying to the program, it's for about 50 out of state seats. And we typically have to make four, maybe even six offers per each seat. So we're making well over 50 offers to fill 50 seats. So you can expect at least 250 or 300 offers to fill those 50 seats even. So it's a little bit better than just 50 offers for those uh, 50 seats out of 3,100 people, but it is a very large pool. In-state, we typically see around 250 applicants for roughly about uh, 50 seats. Some of our in-state seats go towards combined program students, but the other uh, 50 of that half gets really complicated here at CSU. It's very, very complicated. We have about 50 seats for in-state students out of the 250 or so applications. So it's very different ratio there. Still very strong applicants here in Colorado. It's no less competitive, but it's just a smaller pool. So in total, we have 150 seats in the program. That's 138 here in Fort Collins. And then another, um, 12 in Alaska as well, who come and join their cohort in the third year of the program. Wow. So as, as you were saying that, I was just thinking about the stats and when students are choosing which schools to apply to, uh, there seems to be, you know, depending which state you're in, a, a benefit to applying to your in-state school Absolutely. for sure, right? Absolutely. And I think that every applicant needs to do their homework to see what program they're, what program is their top program? Where do they really want to go? Where do they think they'll be the happiest? And ask those questions about residency early. Here in Colorado, if you come and establish residency before you apply and become, you know, domiciled in Colorado, uh, then you can apply as a Colorado resident. And so if Colorado is where you want to be, think about how residency plays inside in advance. Yeah, that's an excellent that's an, that's an excellent tip, um, and that, that that was what was great also about the vet prep program, um, is that um, I got to move to Colorado and establish residency. Yeah. yeah. And, and I should always put this plug in here is that um, at CSU, we are not a school where you can change residency for tuition classification once you're in the program. So if you start as a non-sponsored student in year one, you are a non-sponsored out-of-state student for all four years. There are some programs that allow you to change residency, um, and those are based on our state laws. Yeah, thank you for, for that. I appreciate that, that clarification. This vet school application cycle happens every year. Uh, normally, uh, I think in the past, uh, the VMCAS may have opened in March, but I know this year it's starting in, in, in January. Uh, and then you have until about mid-September to get your application in, um, both the VMCAS application and the CSU supplemental application. And then given that that's all submitted, then students start waiting, right? They're waiting for a response. Which, which, what would be the next step in, in the response from, from a vet school uh, maybe a letter of invitation for for an interview, or, or what would be the next step? Yeah, we try to take 
into account. We know that candidates are waiting for an answer to to plan their spring. So we try to get our offers out as soon as we can. So it's early January. So if you don't get an offer to a program, then you can consider maybe taking additional coursework or something like that in the spring um, before it's too, you know before that semester is already underway. And so offers go out early January, but honestly, if you're on the alternate list, there's a national accept deadline of April 15th. And so basically those candidates who have an offer have until April to make a decision. And if you're an alternate somewhere, you're not going to hear anything until April 15th. Um, And I make offers into our DVM program sometimes even in August as well, too. So you never, you never know when those things can come up. So it's, it's a long process because Vimcast opens in January and then it's due in September and you're getting offers in January again for us. For at CSU, offers come out all, all sorts of different times for other schools. And then that's starting school a full August later. So applying to vet school is hard. It can be a very long journey and you're keeping one toe in the current cycle and one toe in the next cycle as well too. So don't hesitate to reach out and ask for advice, if, especially in, your, in that limbo area of not sure if you're getting in or not. Start planning for the next cycle. And hey, if you get into the program, then you can just kind of put a full halt and, and, and focus on that. Thanks for that breakdown. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a vet school applicant. I'm going through that cycle. And, you know, I've certainly been through this and get to a point where you get that letter. And I look at the letter and it's a small envelope. <laughs> it's never, you know, never like, you're like, oh, no big yeah, circumstances with it. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, it's a small envelope. I hope, you know, open it up and you're like, oh, you know, I just, I didn't get into this school. And, you know, your heart sinks and you're a little bit disappointed and your mind starts to shift to, you know, uh, what what can I do next? What should I do? Uh, is this the, the end of my veterinary career? You know, all these things, it can be a very emotional Absolutely. thing, right? So, uh, if, if I'm that student getting that letter, maybe for the first time, maybe the second time, what should be maybe a first step for me in, in thinking about reapplying? I, I am sitting here pondering because I know all the practical answers of, okay, what comes next and what do you do? But what is that first step in that moment when you get rejected? And First of all, don't put all the blame on yourself and say, I will, someone rejected me and so I might not be worthy of something. Um, it just may mean that it's going to take a little more time and there's more opportunity there to keep exploring and find out where you belong in vet med if you belong in vet med. So um, I'm definitely a person who takes the opportunity when a failure happens to learn from it. I've had a lot of failures in my life and I've learned a lot of lessons from those failures and they've all been good things. So that's, I think, probably the initial reaction. The next step is to to be honest with yourself and take a look at the application and say, okay, where are their strengths and where are their weaknesses? And what can I do about those weaknesses? If you can't find those weaknesses, um, you may want to speak with an advisor. You might want to speak with an admissions director. So maybe a third party can find those weaknesses. And then sometimes you're going to meet with that advisor, that director, and they're going to say there are no weaknesses. We have 3,100 applications at least to our non-sponsored seats. And a lot of those candidates are highly qualified. We just don't have enough seats. And so I always preach persistence. I have good friends and colleagues who are veterinarians now who own practices who took five, seven, nine years to get into vet school, but they knew this is where they belong. This is what they want to do. This is going to be their fulfillment. And so they stuck with it. And they took the opportunity during those years while they were applying to keep improving. Sometimes it was academically, sometimes it was er experiential. Sometimes it was even getting another degree because they wanted to own a practice. So they're going to get their MBA before they get into vet school. So don't just keep circling and and hoping to get into vet school, take the opportunity in that time to try something new, to challenge yourself, to keep growing. There is the the train doesn't leave the station for vet school when you turn, I don't know, what, 22 or 23 or whatever it is. It's the opportunity is always there. We have a very wide range of candidates that come into the program from age 21 to age 60. So it's never too late. Go for it. And <laughs> just keep at it. Yeah, that's some that's some great advice. And I know this is where it becomes a very individual thing, mm-hmm. right? So reach out to those resources and find out how you can make yourself a better candidate or how you can better position yourself next time 
uh, you apply. Yeah. But in general, can we talk about maybe some top reasons why an applicant may be rejected? Yeah, so I think um, a couple of areas, again, I think a vast majority have a lot of good qualifications, but um, if we're really looking at where I see students needing the improvement, it might be academic. So again, here at CSC, we're looking for the last two or three semesters of upward trends in biomedical sciences. Some of our candidates that haven't gotten to their junior, senior years, that haven't taken those upper division sciences, we just want you to have those experiences and show the strength in those areas too. So sometimes it's just time and proving yourself in that area. Sometimes it's experience. I think that's probably less likely, especially here at CSU. I would say that people who don't have a lot of experience and don't have that great reasoning or backstory or or something that says, look, I know what this profession is. I know what I want to pursue, what I want to explore. Um, and it just kind of looks like, I don't know, I'll go to vet school, kind of like what I did, um, may not be the strongest applicant. So do get some experience so that you can speak from the heart of why you're pursuing this and that you can be knowledgeable about all of the ups and downs with the career as well, too. It's not just all uh, kitties and puppies all the time. And I think the others, you know, express yourself. Maybe that's the other biggest pitfall is that if you just check the boxes on the application, okay, I, I got some grades, I got some experience, and then I didn't tell anything else about myself, whether it might be extracurriculars or challenges you've faced or uh, things you love. I mean, even the smallest thing can help set you apart because all of a sudden you've become a person on the paper, not just another applicant who's checked the boxes. So I think you said it earlier, you filled out your application. You actually kind of, you know, wrote in all the nooks and crannies where you could. I think that can can really help the applicant. So fill up the application. <laughs> Sometimes what I get from students is when they're reapplying, they say, hey, can you can you send in that letter of recommendation again uh, the second time? And, you know, I'm like, you know, I really want to do a good job for you. Can we sit down again and talk about what you've been doing this last year or how are you going to improve yourself? So I think to what you're saying is make sure you do that. Make sure you take the time to really showcase how you've grown even over just a year. Right? I totally agree. Um, I think it, it shows um, commitment as well to this profession by telling the admissions committee, these are the things that I've done to keep improving. Uh, so if you don't get in and you apply again, say, you know, show what you've done in that last year. And, and here, whatever happened last cycle stays in last cycle. It's a whole new application. We don't look at the last application and say, oh, they didn't get in or, oh, they didn't get in. Let's look at them again this year. It's just a whole new application, but they will know that you've applied before and they're going to definitely say, okay, they applied last year. What's diff what's, what growth has happened this year? And they're going to be looking to see if you're committed to this. You're trying to improve yourself. So as far as like technicalities, I, another question I get from students and sometimes it's an issue is um, the prerequisites and and which ones may not you know, sometimes prereqs may not be accepted. What what can students do to make sure they avoid that? They avoid that disappointment that one class was just not accepted for whatever reason. Reach out to the admissions office early. Here at CSU, you can email dvmadmissions at colostate.edu. That's c o l o s t a t e dot edu and say hey. I'm taking this course. I took this course. I want to take this course. Does it count for the prerequisite? And we'll check it out before you take it and say, yeah, stay on board with this or nope, it's not going to work. Try something else. So connect with your admissions office early to find out. Um, at CSU, you can actually apply without all your prerequisites completed. Uh, we're looking again for that biomedical trend. And, you know, so you haven't taken physics yet. You could do it um, in the next couple semesters or while you're applying. And so usually there's this little bit of room for you to still finish those prerequisites in the spring during the application as well, too. So if something's missing, you have spring and, and even we hate to put it off till summer, but even if you got to squeak it out in the summer, you can as well too. Uh, get those things done. And at CSU, we've always accepted online courses, even pre-COVID, things like that as well too. So if it means you haven't taken a physics or I just keep saying physics or statistics or whatever it is, because your school doesn't offer it, you could squeeze one in online as well too. One thing that you mentioned before, for example, is that that biochemistry with the organic prereq, uh -huh. because, you know, I think sometimes students are, you know, too quick to take a biochemistry class and it may not have that, that qualification. Right. And so when you look at it from the admission side, 
Are you looking for the the course description that says prereq organic chemistry? We're looking um, typically 300 and up. So that's junior and senior level. I know other schools use different uh, uh, numbering systems, but junior, senior level biochemistries typically have that organic as a prerequisite. So one, we're looking at the level of the course. Two, we're looking at the course name. It does it say biochemistry or is it something else? Um, and then three, we can look at the description and look for the prerequisites there. So we have looked at those. Okay, great. Thanks for, for clarifying that. Again, the take-home message is make sure you go to the individual school's website and, and really and really look at the details. Unfortunately, it's, you know, you have what, 30 vet schools in, in the country growing. <laughs> and growing, and you just have to really do your homework when you're um, narrowing down your school right. choice. I guess I wanted to touch on something that you mentioned before is that the GRE, it used to be a lot of schools wanted the GRE scores. Can you talk about why you tra the CSU transitioned to, to no GRE? Yeah, absolutely. So um, that was another excuse me, thing of my doing. Um, I did a lot of analysis on how we were using the GRE and what it predicted for us in the program. Because I know uh, there's a national discussion, uh, many of you know, of about the limitations of the GRE and other standardized tests in, in being a test more for those that have the resources to study for the exam, to take the exam multiple times and, and such. So what I wanted to look at is what was it doing for us in predicting success in the program? And what I found was that it, there was no correlation between a good GRE score and a good veterinary student, um, especially in some of the, the first year biomedical science type courses. So it was even students that struggled versus students that did really well, just no correlation there for our GRE. And then again, with our holistic process with the GRE, it was just one piece of information. Again, no, no percentages, no weights, no formulas that we use. It was looking at the academic history, the story that went with the academic history. Oh, yeah, and the GRE score. Taking that all into account, it was just another piece that we were looking at, not really relying on, you know, as a solid piece of that puzzle kind of thing. And that's a big ask for a lot of candidates who stress a lot over taking the GRE. They take the GRE several times, which is expensive. And then again, you know, I can't tell you anything about pi r squared and diameter of a circle anymore. And it's not something that we really use in the veterinary profession on a daily basis. I wish we had something like the MCAT, kind of more of a biomedical, medical type of exam, but we just don't have that in vet med. So GRE was not doing a lot for us. So we let it go so that it removed another barrier and gave access to more students uh, for our program. As we wrap up, I really appreciate you taking the time to to kind of break all this information down. Um, I do feel like I've really caught up on your admissions process, so I can I feel like I, I'm I'm a better advisor for it now when I talk to my students, and hopefully our listeners will feel a little bit more uh, well informed. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. I want to I want to just end by you know asking you a question. We hadn't talked about this before, but obviously you you see a lot of potential candidates, you see a lot of young vet students starting out. What are our young veterinarians um, bringing to the profession? You know, so speak from my personal experience, but also what I see happen here at CSU is that, you know, myself and my husband, we were both veterinarians that did not want to practice medicine. We brought something different. We brought in unique backgrounds, unique goals in the career. And I think people like us and other colleagues of mine here at CSU really promote that um, that exploration of veterinary medicine and the roles that it plays. So I have a good colleague here, Dr. Colleen Duncan, who's a pathologist by trade, veterinary pathologist, but she is very involved with uh, climate change uh, concerns and how veterinary medicine plays into uh, the environmental impact and, and public health. There's all these strange and awesome places to find veterinarians in and involved. And I think that, uh, you know, this new generation of veterinarians as being exposed to these unique opportunities and are being cheered on to pursue something different too. I have great uh, candidates who are, are pursuing more policy type medicine rather than practicing medicine as well too. So just like talking about women in science and STEM, the more we show mentors in uh, female mentors in science, we can inspire the next generation of female scientists to come in and join the profession. So if we keep showing these non-traditional fields in vet med, we'll continue to diversify where veterinarians are found 
in our everyday lives. And so I, I hope the new generation is bringing in that that explorer hat, because um, I think that's going to make vet med really unique. It's not just one lens. Um, and, and I have to plug this too, you know, I advise a lot of non-traditional veterinarians, those that are, are post-back. And so I have people coming from engineering, computer science, law, you name it, all sorts of backgrounds who are coming into the program too. And who knows what they're going to bring into uh, the career later down the, ro- the road because of these unique lived experiences that they're, they're bringing to the table. So I have lots of hope. <laughs> That's that's excellent. Um, that gives me also lots of hope and just gets me excited about yeah. what I do. And I know I work with a lot of undergraduates, but you know I feel like it starts at the undergraduate level a lot of times for for a lot of students and encouraging them to to do what you're saying is that explore, just keep exploring uh, the career opportunities that veterinarians have. You don't have to have it figured out um, because I don't think any of us have all of life figured out. So keep trying. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do when I grow up. <laughs> Right now it's podcasting, I, like, I guess. I like that you're exploring it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so any, any any last advice uh, or any words of wisdom to our listeners out yeah, there? Yeah, my, my thing is be persistent. Um, if this is where you want to be, this is the career for you, it's worth it. Uh, I know there's a lot of stress out there in the discussions about veterinary medicine, talking about the wellness, talking about the debt and things like that. But this career is is just so full of so many opportunities that it is, it truly is a place where you can find happiness. And I encourage everybody to keep fighting for that happiness. If you ever find yourself stuck in a career or in a choice that you made that you don't like, do the best you can to to move on to the thing that is going to bring you joy because um, taking those chances can, can really pay out. It's, it's done for me. I've been in ruts before and I've made some hard, challenging choices to change. And I'm, I'm feeling the happy these days. So it's good. Awesome. Love it. That is some, some great advice to, to end this podcast on. My guest has been Dr. Gretchen Delcom, a veterinarian and director of DVM admissions at Colorado State University. Dr. Delcom, it was so great to meet you. Thank you so much for your time and the great information. And thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for the time. It was great meeting you as well. And um, good luck to all of your students. Thank you for listening to the Academic Veterinarian Podcast. You can find all the resources and links discussed on today's program in the episode's show notes. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast and we'd love to hear from you. So send us your comments, questions, or suggestions for future episodes to theacademicvet at gmail.com.